0: You can find us in the Bible app. Uh, Our sermon notes are on there. Uh, If you go to the events tab, I think you go to more and then events. uh, So you can download that. And we're going to be in Romans. We're in Romans for all of 2019, uh, for most of it. And um, today we're going to be in Romans chapter 1, finishing a series called Set Apart. Uh, A little bit of a spoiler in February. uh, We're going to be doing a series still in Romans entitled Living Lies. And uh, I'm really excited about that, and, uh, and it's a great opportunity to, uh, to invite somebody. We're going to spend three weeks uh, talking about this idea of living lies. Um, do we do it? Are we living lies? Uh, and, and what does the Lord have to say about that? So it's going to be good, uh, but uh, instead Set Apart, uh, what we've been doing is really setting uh, the stage. We've been uh, talking about, uh, as a church, what we feel he is calling us to and who he's calling us to be. And so uh, we started in the first verse, right, uh, over there on the board, and it kind of uh, set, set apart for us what we want to be and do in 2019. We want to be servants. We want to identify our calling. And we want to live set apart. And now we've been talking about what that means. Uh, last week we talked about how do we do that, and we realize that it's only in community with one another, right? It's, it's a y'all type of thing to be set apart. And today, uh, we're going to finish this series by talking about why we are set apart by the Lord and what impact that should have on how we live out our daily lives. So uh, Romans 1, 13 through 15, if you've got it there on your phone or uh, we've got it on the screen, just a couple of verses, and then I want to pray for our time in the Word. It says, Now I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now, in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles. I am obligated, both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, and so I am also eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Pray with me. Father, we pray that you would speak to us uh, through your word. It's without error, it's uh, for all time, and so we are grateful for it, and we pray that we would be transformed by it through your Holy Spirit teaching us today. May we hear about your son Jesus and what he has done for us with, <laughs> with uh, all generosity. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. I have a dream, said Martin Luther King, that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream That one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama, with its vicious racists, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh, all flesh, shall see it together. Martin Luther King Jr. did something in that speech that is invaluable to our country. He gave a vision to chase after. He helped people see where they needed to be going. And as we uh, get into this passage today, we're going to to understand the value of of knowing where we're going and why we're going there. Reading some of these lines from his speech that day uh, bring us both hope because we've seen some of those things come to reality and at the same time, reminders that we have such a long way to go. It's convicting for me that in some ways I can see those things becoming reality in my life and in other ways I have not worked hard enough for them. It's easy to lose sight of why we want to live lives that are set apart. Right? This idea of being set apart, of being made holy, of, of living a life that's different because of what Christ has done for us and how he has set us apart. It's so easy to lose sight of why we would want that kind of life. And when we lose sight of that, it becomes almost this legalistic weight and burden But when we get back to the true why, and we understand why Christ has set us apart, it makes all the difference in the world. Just as it does to return to visionary speeches like Martin Luther King Jr.'s. In 1952, there was a woman, her her name was Florence Chadwick, and she attempted to swim the 26 miles between Catalina Island and the California coastline. And as she began that journey, she was flanked by small boats that were watching for sharks, and they were prepared to help her if she got hurt or if she grew tired. 26 miles. After about 15 hours of swimming, I mean, I can't even watch Netflix for 15 hours. She's swimming for 15 hours. A thick fog set in. And she began to doubt her ability, and she told her mother, who was in one of the boats, that she did not think that she could make it. And so she swam for another hour after thinking that she couldn't make it. She's up to 16. And after that hour, she asked to be pulled out of the water, and she was unable to see the coastline due to the fog that had set in. When she crawled in the boat, she found out that she had stopped swimming just one mile away from her destination. Two months later, she tried again. Same thick fog set in, but she succeeded in reaching Catalina. When asked what the difference was, she said, I kept a mental image of the shoreline in my mind while I swam. And she later would swim that Catalina Channel on two additional occasions. You see, when we lose sight of why we're set apart, when, when we lose sight of our purpose in being set apart for the Lord, it becomes so much easier to quit. It becomes so much easier to throw the talent or to think that these things are unachievable. And that's the very spirit that Paul is, is finishing this introduction to Romans with, right? Verse 13. Now, I don't want you to be, what's it say, unaware. I don't want you to forget. I don't, I don't want you to be unaware of why we have this beautiful gospel that's changed our lives and set us apart for something different. He doesn't want the Romans to lose sight of that. And so he doesn't want them to forget what it looks like to live lives that are different and holy. He's been kept from coming to them, he writes. It's taken longer than expected. And when that happens, he's afraid that they may have given up on this thing called the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, in the movie Castaway, we have familiarity with that? Okay, a little bit. This side of the room is seen at this side. We'll see. Ca- Tom Hanks, right? Tom Hanks is the star of the movie. He is the victim of a plane crash, and he ends up on a deserted island with a volleyball friend named Wilson. Wilson is amazing. So literally against all odds, basically no odds of him surviving, he survives and is rescued. And if you've watched the movie, it's incredibly like emotional and like, like, I can't imagine this moment because he returns home and his wife has remarried, right? And who could have blamed her? It's one of those movies like if you... Guys, if we will actually talk about our emotions, and I'm sure the girls are all sobbing at this point, right? But when you think about that moment, like, you're like, I, I can't blame her. Like, he's been gone for years. I would have gotten remarried, too. And then for poor old Tom Hanks, you're like, you survived. And, like, you know, get this scene where he's confessing his love to Kelly, and she keeps him, you know, going. He remembers his why. And then they come together, and are like, oh, we can't be together. It's terrible. Everyone had considered him dead. No one expected, to, expected him to return. She had given up hope because she couldn't see his return it didn't make sense to her she couldn't keep that mental image of him actually being alive and returning to their home and so this incredibly crushing scene comes as hanks settles into the new reality that even though he has been returned to his wife she will not be returned to him church i want us to to think about us being the bride of christ for just a moment in this illustration we can't give up hoping that Christ will return. We can't give up hoping that he's returning to, to restore to himself a, a perfect kingdom. We can't set ourselves apart to, to other good guys, right, quote-unquote. We must wait for Christ alone. Brothers and sisters, as Paul writes to the Romans, we cannot be unaware. We can't lose sight of why we've been Set apart, And so the question comes, well, what are we unaware of? What, what are our blind spots? What prevents us from being set apart or seeing why we've been set apart? Perhaps we can't see what our life looks like separated from a certain sin. We just can't imagine giving up alcohol we can't imagine giving up pornography we can't imagine giving up the lies that we tell to to keep things going we can't imagine giving up a certain sin we can't imagine it and so we just indulge in it anyway we can't see what our life would look like if we were more committed to Christ than we were to keeping our kids happy think about that tension we just can't envision the time when, when our kids will be more in love with Christ than they are with their toys or their friends or their parents. And because we can't see what that would look like, we just help them indulge in those good things anyway. We can't see what it would look like for true racial equality to persist throughout every nook and cranny of our country. And so we just settle for justifying our own actions instead of considering that there's still work to be done. We can't see what our life would look like if we were called to go and be a missionary, maybe, maybe here in our community, but maybe farther than that, maybe in a place that the gospel's never been heard. I could never do that. I can't imagine my life looking like that, and so surely that's not for me. It just doesn't make any sense to us. So we find ourselves content to consider all the extra things that we have here in America as blessings from God. We can't see what our life would look like if we worked with the intent to win our co-workers for Christ. Surely those guys and those gals are good enough people that they they know Jesus. They do enough good things. I'm sure that they are good. I can't imagine risking my professional life to have a conversation about their eternity. So we don't. We play it safe. We don't allow ourselves to be hurt see all those little choices that that happen in our day-to-day lives, sometimes they blind us from the vision of what it means to be set apart for Christ. They keep us from seeing the end destination, and they cause us to settle for something far less than what Christ has imagined. We lose sight of why Christ set our lives apart in the first place, and when we do, it's just not worth fighting for it anymore. And so we give ourselves to other things instead, many of them good, but none of them Christ. But Paul doesn't end with this idea of just being unaware. He goes on in verse 14 and he says, "I am obligated." Obligated. I don't like to be obligated to anything. <laughs> but he says, "I am obligated." I'm obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. He's obligated to preach this gospel, to give his life to Christ. We have an obligation to give our lives to Jesus because Jesus gave his life for us without obligation, right? What is it that could make Paul feel so obligated to love and preach to these people, to whoever would come into his path, right? To the Greeks, to the barbarians, to the wise, to the foolish. What is it inside of him that makes him feel obligated to do that? It has to be the fact that Christ had given his life for him without any obligation. There's no other logical explanation. I love this little insight into Jesus and and how he processed and thought when he was here with us on earth as 100% God and 100% man. John 12, verses 27 and 28. Jesus is considering the outcome of his life here on earth and he says, now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But that's what I that that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I've glorified it, and I will glorify it again. You catch the, the beauty in there? Like there's tension. Jesus is is troubled inside because this is a this is a hard choice. Do I go to the cross? I know that's why I came, but it's going to be so difficult. It's going to be so hard to to just lay my life down, to set it apart, to fulfill this. Maybe I can just ask for something else, right? My soul is troubled, Christ says, and yet still he laid his life down. He gave his life without an obligation. He could have snapped his fingers and been saved from it all. And because he gave his life without obligation... We have an obligation to give our lives to him. Maybe you've seen this uh, short video on Facebook or social media, uh, but check it out, and then I want to make one point about it. I've seen that a few times, but as I saw it this week and thinking about this week's message and what the text says, it caught me that the hospital sent letters to everyone who received one of her donor, donations, right? And only one, only one responded to that. I cannot imagine if I had been given something from someone else's body, right? Like from a donor, and I got that letter. I cannot imagine saying no. I I just can't imagine saying no to that. And yet so many did. But this one man came back to say thank you for the life that he had been given. The God who gave his only son so that you could live. Who replaces your old ugly heart with a new one. That is Christ. Has asked you to live a life that is set apart. It's his one request of you. Can you say no to him? Can you say no to him? See, we are obligated. We are obligated to give our lives to Christ because Christ gave his life for us without obligation it's an obligation that we read as Paul writes that extends past nationality or ethnicity or loyalties Paul says he was obligated to preach to Greek or barbarian it's it's a point that he's making about race and language that the good news of Jesus it wasn't just for the Jews it wasn't even just for the Romans It didn't matter if you were a Greek speaker who was part of the most dominating culture of the time, or you were considered a barbarian who spoke some tribal language. You were a human being created in the image of God, and Paul was going to share Jesus with you. He was going to share that Jesus died to save you from your sins and restore to you the life he had given to you. Paul's obligation to share the gospel was not bound by his comfort with his own people or people who only spoke his language or people who had the same skin color. It was and is an obligation that extended beyond nationality and ethnicity and the unhealthy loyalties that have grown around those things. But it was an obligation that also extended past education or economics or behavior. Paul continues to say that he preached both to the wise and the foolish. The gospel of Jesus is is good news to all. Paul didn't go to share the gospel with a certain group of people who really needed it. He was obligated to share Jesus with whomever, whenever, and wherever. It was and is an obligation that extends past all of these things. He sets you apart so that you, like Paul, would be eager to share Jesus with whomever, whenever, and wherever that may be. And so he writes in verse 15, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20 uh, helps us to understand this concept more, that, that Yes, Christ saves us, but that saving comes with this obligation to be reconcilers in the world. Read it with me. It says, Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. In other words, he was making it right, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. And therefore... Because of that, right, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. And then it finishes, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You know how I know I'm getting old? Gender reveals weren't even a thing when we started having kids, and now they seem mandatory. That's how I know I'm getting old. We didn't even know what those things were. Um, I have a, a favor, a request to ask of you. Uh, don't ever ask me to be the guy who knows the gender of your child. Number one, I don't want that kind of pressure. Number two, I don't want that kind of power. All right? I mean, do you realize the power that they have in that moment? Can you imagine if that person just decided not to tell? Right? The dad hits the, you know, the balloon with the baseball bat and nothing pops out. Sorry, guys. I decided I wanted to keep it my secret. Right? There's a picture. Uh, Apparently, there's some fails on this. Right? All the balloons pop out of the box and none of them are pink or blue. I don't, you know, like, can you imagine, like, no balloon, like, I don't know, maybe you're shooting, right, and like, you shoot and it's supposed to pop out blue or pink and it's just gray. Like. There's a tremendous amount of power that this person has, so please do not give it to me. Uh, Like, that would be a cruel thing to do, especially if you could somehow manage to maintain that secret the whole time. Like, that would be crazy. And yet, right, for those of us who know and understand that Jesus gave us his life without obligation, we employ the same kind of cruelty when we never share with others the good news about Christ. We're holding a secret that is pivotal, instrumental, that gives them life. And we are unwilling to share it. When we avoid conversations because we don't want to feel awkward, when we do things we usually wouldn't to better fit in with the crowd, when we choose not to sacrifice any of our hard-earned life for the opportunity to tell someone else about Jesus, it's cruel. It's a power play. It's not living a life that is set apart for the gospel. Charles Spurgeon, who is much more eloquent than I, is quoted as saying this, If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. Church, if we are to be set apart for Christ... If we are set apart for Christ, then we should be eager to share with Jesus, share Jesus with whomever, wherever, and whenever. I've been so encouraged. Uh, uh, We're doing these listening sessions here at Christ Community to consider and to to place ourselves, as Matt talked about, right? Like in a position of prayer and faith in front of the Lord to, to figure out where we are and where we need to go next. And um, Christine Salmon was in one of those, and and, man, it was so encouraging for me to hear her talk. And one of the things she said, she's like, it is time for me to start investing in others. I need to be making disciples. I'm just not sure I know how to do that, right? Like, I don't know where to start. And the first answer is that it starts with sharing the gospel with someone. It's not necessarily taking taking someone who knows Jesus and then helping them know him more or better. Sometimes making a disciple starts with sharing Jesus. In fact, it always starts there somehow, some way, But how do we do that? Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4, 2, he says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. Right? For many of us, we're just not ready. We don't take the steps to be ready in season and out of season. We're not patient with those who are. So I want to Think through just a couple of those things and then give us one really practical next step. And then talk about what happens if we all live this life that's set apart. One of the, ways, one of the best ways to be ready is to just be thinking about how you would approach a different kind of people. I often say there's head people, heart people, and hands people. For our heads people, man, maybe we're just walking them through a gospel presentation. We're working together over time on their questions, their barriers to Christ. We're sitting in the scriptures with them because head people want to, to think through those things. For many of us, there might be heart people in our life who aren't uh, accepting of the Lord. For them, hospitality is such a strong way to share Christ. And as we welcome them into our home and into our lives, we get the opportunity to say to them, Christ welcomes you far better than I ever can. He knows what you need far better than I do. Do you want to give him control of your life? Maybe for those hands people, they're like, I just, I gotta do something, I gotta get my hands dirty. You can begin to tell them the story of how Christ changed your life, and they can see it living in you day by day. Show them how you are different. I want to encourage you as you think about those things and as you think about getting ready in season and out of season, we're going to have an equip class that we do here at Christ Community that starts February 24th. It's going to be on Sunday nights at 530. It's going to go for about four weeks. Daniel Bright and myself are going to lead that. And the whole gist of this is to equip you to share the gospel in a multitude of different ways with a, with a lot of different kinds of people to think about how you fit in the story of Christ and how the person that you're trying to reach fits in the story of Christ. So you're going to be able to sign up for that at loveshellville.com equip, all right? Church, we have to do a better job of being eager to share Jesus with whomever, wherever, and whenever. And if you are not eager to share Jesus with others who are at risk of spending an eternity separated from God, I just ask you, can you answer with confidence that you have trusted Jesus as your personal Savior? Because if we're not eager to do that, maybe we don't understand what he did for us. And so I would ask you to consider that today. Church, if we, maybe even starting with this awesome snowy crowd on a cold January morning, right? If we will commit ourselves to being set apart to sharing the gospel with whoever, whoever, whenever and wherever the Lord gives us those opportunities, we believe that we can see each person in Shelby County joining Jesus on the outside. And we believe that we'll see new churches seeking the city in their community. But we know that that happens one person at a time. We can see the island through the fog. We can see a community that looks different because Christ has transformed it. We can see people whose lives are changed, who do things differently because of what Christ has done for them. And it's been a great week at Christ Community. There's been a lot of really cool things that are st- being stirred up and going on, and I could talk about that for hours. But there was one text that I got this week that was really, really encouraging. Moose Moreno sent a text. and He said, hey, would you be praying? I just had the opportunity to hear the story of the lady who checked me out at Thornton's. And I don't know why it encouraged me so, but it did, right? That in a moment that many of us are probably too busy to to stop and listen, in a a moment when many of us are just trying to make the transaction, he stopped and he heard his story, and he had an opportunity to be Jesus to that lady. Church, we want our heart for Shelby County this year to be different. We want it to be set apart. We want to serve, right? We're going to keep serving. Next week is Love Shelbyville Day, and I hope we blow Love Shelbyville out of the water. And it's amazing, and we do all kinds of service things. But we don't want to be so cruel as to give people in our community a hand up and not give them the most valuable thing we have, which is the good news of Christ. Because oftentimes the most tangible thing that we can do in our setting is to invite people to join us at church, right? I know church is not Jesus, but church is the bride of Christ. It starts the conversation. I know that an invitation to church never saved anyone, but the church is the bride. And when you encounter her, you're going to be introduced to her husband, the one and only King Jesus, right? The one that Matt talked about, (laughs) And said, no matter what kind of day or season you're having, he's still the king, and so it's going to be all right. Church, we don't want to lose sight of the shoreline in 2019. When we get to November, December, we don't want to forget that we spent this month in January talking about, we want to live lives that are set apart, that are different. We want to live lives that are moving the needle forward for the gospel of Jesus here in Shelby County. And so, I introduce to you the set-apart board. We talked and prayed as a staff, and we wanted to set a goal. We wanted to do something to keep this in front of us. So we said, "What if we, what if we set a goal to invite 10% of Shelby County to join us at church?" Doesn't mean that they'd all accept that invitation, but what if we made personal invites to 10% of Shelby County, around 4,500 people in 2019? Like, is that possible? Is that like, could we do that? So we figured out. We took the the normal average worship attendance, not the snow day attendance, right? If we count our kids, who are probably better about inviting people to church than we are, it's about one invitation per week. Can you invite one person a week? Surely you have at least one encounter with someone where you have an opportunity to to invite them into something that is bigger than themselves, that is the bride of Christ, that is the way that God is moving his mission forward in the world. And what I want you to do is every time you do, take one of these rubber bands, put it on nails, right, and fill out this letter. Because we know that Christ has set us apart for something more than ourselves. He's set us apart for more than just a good life and a good house and all those things. He set us apart to share the good news of his son, Jesus. And as we do that, we're going to fill in the picture of what it looks like for our lives to be set apart. It's amazing what happens when you begin to invest in the lives of others, when you begin to make disciples as we are called to, how God changes you. So we want to encourage you to do that. If you want to take a rubber band with you and put it around your wrist so that you remember, that's fine, but you're accountable. I counted every, I didn't count every single one. There's about 2,000 in there right now. i got to get some more. But each week, as you come in, this board's going to be hanging on the wall, and we want to encourage you to take a rubber band and hang it on there for each person that you've personally invited to church. And let's fill out together this idea of being set apart. Andy Stanley said that there's three knots that you can listen for in a conversation to find an easier way to do that. Listen for, I'm not in church. Listen for, things are not going well. And listen for, I am not prepared for. And in those moments, we have an opportunity to say, why don't you come to church with me? I think you might be able to walk with some people that are in that same place. We want to see each person joining Jesus on the outside. We want to see new churches seeking the city and their community. But in addition to that, we have an obligation to, sh- to give our lives to Jesus because Jesus gave his life for us without obligation. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to be obligated to that commitment, we must be eager to share Jesus with whomever, wherever, whenever. Let's pray. God, we, um, we just pray, as Paul wrote, that we would not be unaware of, That we would not lose sight of the mission and the vision that you have called us to. Father, don't let us be okay. Don't let us be content to just sit in our lives and not reach out and extend to others the good news of Jesus. Bother us with it. Father, we pray that you would continue to work in our lives that you would continue to soften our hearts to what you have for us. and Father, I just pray that you would uh, use your spirit to restore the vision of of your plan, not only for each person's life, but for this church as a whole. That that shoreline will become clear. That we would not quit just short of the line. But that all together we would be united around the vision that you have for us at Christ's community and in our lives. Jesus, we thank you for making all this possible. Don't let us overlook that either, Jesus. That we sit here and all, all we have only because of you. Thank you. Help us to be more like you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.